Welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm and trauma. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm and trauma. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Welcome back to Start By Listening. We're so glad you're here today with us. It's Jennifer, a.k.a. The Friendly Therapist, with my co-pilot. Hey, it's me, Shelby. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're so excited. I am so excited. Yeah. <laughs> we're authentic. It's a little bit anything. of an awkward intro, but you know what? We already did it, and we're rolling with it, so let's just... Girl, we authentic. <laughs> we are authentic here. That if we cannot say anything at New Beginnings, we are fucking authentic. Yeah, you gotta be. <laughs> And today we have an amazing guest with us, and I have to give a, a special, I guess, warning. Oh no, <laughs> um, he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, he's also an amazing colleague in this community, and I'm so glad he's here today because he's going to bring an interesting perspective mm-hmm. to trauma, mental health, and um, things we can do for ourselves. So. I'm thrilled today. We have Ken Castleton with us, and he's going to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about who he is and what he does. So, welcome, Ken. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Ken. Before you introduce yourself, I just want to say, I know that you two are going to have some ecstatic energy here. I drank an energy drink to try and hide myself out because I was like, this is going to be a wild ride. So, I'm caffeinated. I'm excited to talk with you. And our energy is going to hype her up, right? Yeah. Because energy is... Yeah. Well, there's definitely good chemistry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And as with any locomotive, I mean, it takes, you know, you have to, you get into the sort of ebb and flow and it... You, you, you build the momentum, you know, and, and who knows what, who knows what this is, this is going to bring about, right? Absolutely. We're just open. So here we are. So as far as me... Um, yeah intro uh so i'm ken castleton i am a 15 year mental health therapist uh, going into my 15th year private practice i own a company called freedom wellness center and uh, it's interesting when i started off as a therapist i said that i was not going to go into three areas And what's really interesting in this moment, I ju- I'm just now, like, you're seeing this live actually happen in this moment that I'm making this connection. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That just happened. <laughs> Three of the areas. I'm going <laughs> to... One area I haven't gone into. I'll tell you about that in just a second. Yes. Second area uh, was domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I became the domestic violence offender man's therapist. So I said I wasn't going to go into it. I became it. I also said I wasn't going to go into addiction. I became the men's addiction therapist in the area. I mean, not just the men's, I don't mean it that way, but I, I ended up specializing in both domestic violence offense and addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now going full circle, here I am at New Beginnings. Mm-hmm. Like I'm getting hot, literally thinking this at this moment facility that specializes in sexual assault and I said that I was going to go nowhere near sexual assault 
Oh, and you are sitting in this space. You all just created yeah. the trifecta of everything I said that I wasn't going to do, I've done. Yeah. So we know why you're here today, obviously, but what led you to go into fields that you promised yourself you never would have gone into? The, those two, uh, they came to me. Actually, all three. It's not really that I went into them. Okay. They came to me. Um, I realized at C. I, I'm one of those that went to school, got a four-year degree in business. I walked across the plank, grabbed my, my my degree, shook hands or whatever. And as I'm walking down, I remember thinking to myself, well, that was a complete waste of four years. Hence my uh, degree in underwater basket weaving joke. <laughs> um, and I spent four years in the business world and did some things. But what I realized... Um, some years into it, I realized that the days that I felt like I actually did anything, you know, those days where you feel like, and I actually, actually did something, right? It wasn't the days that I made money or landed a big sale or completed a big project. It was the days that I, that I had a heart to heart conversation with an employee. Yeah. And I was like, you know, there's something here. I don't know what it is. And therapy came to me. So I ended up at 20, Six, going back to school, and went and pursued a master's degree in mental health counseling. Okay, so we actually kind of have similar paths because I graduated my degree in marketing, um, got a got a degree for the sake of getting a degree. You need yeah. a degree to make money. You need money to live in capitalism. So started grinding, working from like doing marketing. Hated it because it's just so draining sitting behind a computer all day creating digital marketing materials. It's like uh, worthless. It's like I wanted to do something with my life. Then I found New Beginnings and it inspired my passion because my interactions with clients were so much more fulfilling than doing any of the digital marketing stuff. And I'm going back to school. One year later though. I'm 27, not 26. But yeah. Wow, that is that is so cool. Yeah. At it. Like it's almost parallel. And she not only is she going back to school, but she is in a social work program through University of Kentucky. Yeah. So she's going to be a social worker, and I'm pretty sure you have aspirations of becoming a therapist. I do. Yes. Yes. I chose the social work route rather than clinical counseling just because I really like the advocacy piece of it and the social justice aspect of it. A lot of my coursework revolves around social justice, and I mean, right now I'm a victim advocate, so I like to use my voice to help. Um, so your degree, straight therapy, clinical counseling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I have actually two licenses. One is license, uh, licensed professional clinical counselor, mm-hmm. and then the other is the drug and alcohol, uh, the LCADC, clinical and alcohol drug counseling. Mm-hmm. So to me, they're just letters. They're just you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a counselor. I'm a coach. I'm a friend. I'm a Lots, you know, when you're in that role with people, you're a lot of different hats with people. Oh, yeah. So, nowhere do I say, oh, well, I'm your LPCC. Mm-hmm. I'm your LCA. You know, that's just, that's just legal stuff, that's all. Oh, yeah, of course. So, Freedom Wellness, you already know all about it, I'm sure. <laughs> but let the audience know. You said that's your thing. I'm interested. <laughs> thing what do you mean what well you mean? said well you said domestic violence you said drug and alcohol and then you said freedom wellness is that just be like your counseling title oh, or is that like something else or like freedom wellness center is the name of my company oh uh, okay that's the name. Yep. 
Yeah. Gotcha. So I was when I uh, spent a, I spent eight years with another company mm-hmm. and helped them through some major transformations uh, because of the Affordable Care Act and whatnot. And they actually asked me to buy it in pieces, and just their timing didn't match up with my timing, and, and I am forever grateful to the experience that I had with them because it, it gave me a platform to be able to really spread out my wings as being a leader, uh, practice new things, and take risks in terms of different types of study, whether it was domestic violence or addiction or uh, trauma or attachment or whatnot, and they were fully supportive of it, and you know, it was unfortunate to have to part ways, but um, I was meant for this path. I was meant to go this on this journey, and I was trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to call my company. You know, a lot of people call, you know, their practices by their name or something like that. And I was like, I just, I just don't, this isn't about, this isn't about me, but I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want that attention. I don't want, that's not. And I remember driving one day and the word freedom came and I was like, that's it. That's absolutely it. It was an intuitive, like it just poof, freedom. Yes, that's what I want. And the words wellness center just flowed right after it because that's really just, that's my mission is to help people find freedom freedom to be yourself freedom to embrace your stuff embrace your change embrace the risks the fears you know and find your true ultimate like get more closely aligned to your true self yeah freedom wellness that's it i like the word wellness center Mm -hmm. right because it's not just like therapy because wellness has like this level of spiciness all of its own. Like how does one person interpret the word wellness versus another person? And where are you in your journey? It's going to, you know, have huge effect on how you interpret the word wellness, but wellness doesn't mean healing it, I think, transcends, and it means something bigger, like something more of a possibility. And what we know about possibility, that's where hope lies. And then there's the freedom to be able to think, what if? I don't know, I just kind of made that up as it came to me. It's, it's, <laughs> it sounded good. It sounds good, right? It good. But it is. It's it's more than just like a counseling center, mm-hmm. you know? And that's my vision with it is that mm-hmm. that's, in fact, um, I've spent this year and I'll be implementing it this coming year, a split between the talk therapy piece of counseling and then the wellness center piece of doing things that sometimes there are no words for what it is that, that sometimes we have to do. It's beyond processing with our mind, with our brains, Mm -hmm. which is largely what therapy is for a lot of people. Talk therapy is processing, you know, there's books all out there. Wayne Dyer, who all the gurus change your thoughts, change your, change your life. Right. But that's, that's just a part of the, it's just a small little tiny piece of it. It's not just about changing your thoughts because I can promise you this. I've changed my thoughts all my life. 
I, I, I don't take my clients through anything that I haven't already practiced, that I haven't already dubbed to be fluff or effective or what. And, and all changing your thoughts is not enough. And what I love about your podcast is because it, it has what I love about your content. Back up. Do you catch that? Too many thoughts at one time. What I love about the title of your podcast is that it's start by listening. And and that's the wellness approach, is teaching people how to listen. Yes. Not listen to what society tells us. Not listen to what the conditioned interpretation or rules or messages that we've picked up, we've either been taught or we've caught over our lifetime and our experiences, not to listen to what our significant others say or our best friends or what we think about the future that doesn't even exist without knowing the past, by the way, but to listen to ourselves, listen to what this is saying. And the interesting thing about listening, I've, I've learned just recently, you know what a bit of information is? A nugget of wisdom. <laughs> That's a really great way of putting it. I, we are clearly not computer science people. For those of you who are, thank you. Right? Thank you for being that person in our life because we are not. I had to look up what a bit is, and apparently a bit of information is the smallest measurement of information. Okay. Our limbic system processes 11 million bits of information per second. That's a shit ton. That's a shit ton, right? Only 40 bits of information make it to the neocortex consciously. So all that other stuff is just either scattered amongst the subconscious or just flips out. 99.5. 97% of the information that we receive on every day, 24-7 basis, is processed subconsciously. So hence, to change your thoughts, to change your life, okay, fine, but what about the rest? Because that's a lot. That's just the rest. That's a lot. It's like uh, in the job description, whenever you go for a job, 5% other duties as assigned, mm-hmm. which really ends up becoming like 90% yeah. percent right. of your job. Right. Where my mind was going with that is that's why eyewitnesses are not credible in court. Because <laughs> yeah. we're not processing and retaining half of the stuff that we're seeing. You can see what color is that person wearing. <laughs> Depending on what you were focused on in that moment, your memory is going to store it as something differently. Mm-hmm. That's why, for instance, you have a, uh, a, a detective-type show called 48 Hours or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's why, for instance, I read somewhere that the police, when they show up to a car accident, they know they have about 20 minutes to get the details before the purple becomes the blue and the yellow light becomes the red and the left turn becomes the straight. And the, we begin to start yeah. mudding the information mm-hmm. because it's all gone to a different region and that's bleeding in with other bits of information not only that but how many times have we said did i really just see what i saw did i really just hear what i think i heard and then we start to self-doubt and that's leading back to that get moving away from 
the center of who we are, right? And letting other people begin to tell us who we are. So what I'm hearing is you're really big on the somatic therapies. Have you drank the polyvagal Kool-Aid? Is, are I'm you on, on that boat? Okay. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am drunk on the punch. <laughs> yeah. You drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, we love that around here. Very, very much so. Um, and, and more than just that. I mean, more than, yes, the, the polyvagal stuff. Um, well, before you answer that, let me just ask something. So 15 years of doing work with people, you've probably easily touched the lives of over a thousand people easily. Mm-hmm. 15 years of learning, doing CEUs, all kinds of things. How does that everything compare or contrast with polyvagal theory and how you have seen change happen? Let me ask that question. Yeah, I just asked that question. Yeah, I have to get some thought on that one. Yeah. Because when we go to school for grad school, it's just the bare minimum, right? It's just... Like when I was in nursing school, we're going to teach you enough so that you don't kill someone, okay? And when you go to social work school, uh, clinical counseling school, it's just enough to not harm, right? But really, where all of the wisdom comes from is from continuing education units. It's figuring out, ooh, I really like this style, this thought, and learning about this theorist or, you know, um, it comes from wisdom gleaned from connection with other therapists. And polyvagal is different because there's not a lot of that. I mean, somatic therapies in general are different. Yeah. I just finished my course on social work theory and not a single one of those theories had anything to do with any type of somatic work, which I found fascinating and I'm lucky to have a position here, which has opened me up, which one of the reasons why I'm exploring this degree. So again, I'm really interested in your thoughts on the change over time with, because I'm, I'm entering this with the knowledge that there is this mind body connection and it's so important, but I feel like previously it's just all about that. What's going on up here and how do we reprogram those thoughts? Okay. You ready? Yep. Ready. That's why we talk enough to give you enough time to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Six months into becoming, I'm a contextual person, so to answer the question, I have to give you some context. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months into becoming a therapist, uh, it was March that following year, I had my supervision meeting with my boss and supervisor, and I gave her my six-month notice. Okay. I said, this isn't for me. I picked the wrong profession. Uh, this is my six months. I'm not taking any more new clients, but I will finish off with the ones that I have, and I think ideally I'll be finished by the end of the summer, and I'm finding something else to do. I'm also that therapist that showed up to, at the time, was doing in-home therapy, and people, you know, I would go to their homes and their schools and I drove around the surrounding counties. And I had my SUV and my filing cabinet and strapped down inside a 
filing or inside the, the SUV with his worksheets. And I was ready, always showing up, like prepared with, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'd always show up and they had other plans, of course, and we never got to that stuff. And no matter what we talked about the session before, there was always another fire to put out the next time. And that's what got me so discouraged. I was like, something, I'm not, something's not working. Mm-hmm. Little did I know, what wasn't working was that in therapy, we focus so much on what we're thinking. And no hit on cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the OG of therapy. It's the know your thoughts, what's dysfunctional, what's functional, what's rational, what's irrational. Know what those patterns are and how they affect you. But studies show that no amount of thinking is greater than the combination of being able to think and feel at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's what's missing in a lot of traditional talk therapy type styles. Is that we can educate and we can talk about, well, this is how you're thinking and this is a new way of thinking and you can practice this and you can journal and you can have these new thoughts and you can even go as far as things like you know, manifesting and prophesizing and these kinds of words out there with these new one-liners that we're given. But if this and this is not is not linked, yep. I'm living proof that I can think myself, think to myself. All sorts of thoughts. I'm a therapist. 15 years. I consider myself pretty damn good at what I do. I know the right things to think. I know the right things to do. I know what my mind says. If this happens, then this happens. And if you do this, then this might happen. I know that stuff. But it wasn't until I stopped and I listened and I began to acknowledge how I felt. And I began to be curious about how I felt. And then here's the trick. I began to empathize with how I felt. There's a little acronym with that. ACE. Acknowledge, be curious, be empathetic. And beginning to do that with the brain and the body, which, mind you, is the mind, right? And listening to that. So what's changed is that, for me, therapy has gone from here to being here and then from here to being here mm-hmm. now for those of you on listening to this podcast who have no idea what I mean by here and here because you're not watching you're just listening what I mean by that is learning how to feel is more than just learning how to Acknowledge that, you know, I'm uncomfortable and I want to move around in my seat. It's more than just, I feel tired uh, and I need some rest or I feel hungry and I want something to eat. It's, it's about allowing yourself to go to those places that we're terrified of going. Yes. I'm here right now because I'm facing fears because I'm practicing learning how to study my fear. Not 
run away from it, not avoid it, not be a man and practice or and pretend like it doesn't exist, but actually acknowledge. And I'm terrified. A lot. And I've covered it up with self-affirming statements. But now that I'm able to feel those things, they have less power over me. I'm able to shift them. I'm able to direct them in creative ways. And what's enhanced all of that is that realistically, it wasn't anything to do with therapy that brought me there. It was the instruction to learn how to breathe. And for those of you who are afraid to talk about things like breath work and cold plunging because suddenly it's trendy. I have another little story for you if I can share it. Absolutely. About, uh, well, whatever it is. We're in 2022. It doesn't matter. Whatever <laughs> Where the, math are is, <laughs> the math is uh, irrelevant. In February of 2020, just before COVID, uh, caught the United States by storm. I found myself with a slight injury in my back that progressed to the most excruciating experience of my entire life. I had a pain contraction that went from my back and shot straight down my leg uh, that left me unable to urinate, um, unable to think, unable to move, unable to walk. I was unable to move my toes. I was terrified believing that something was happening and that I was dying or becoming paralyzed or I had no idea what. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I was put in the hospital for five days. Where I was unable to walk into the hospital, I was able to walk out with a walker. Still scary. Still scary. They did every neurological test there was. Everything came back fine, saying, you're fine. And they came up with this basically um, catch-all kind of diagnosis that I was suffering from, something called lumbar radiculopathy. You can put it together. My lumbar region was acting ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I went to my PT that following Monday after I'd been released from the hospital on Friday. And he had me sit. If you can imagine laying on that PT table or massage table, he had me sit. Uh, This was my homework. Lay down with my knees propped up, sway them from side to side, and breathe. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, and just breathe in unison with that. And that's all I had to do. That was your homework? That was my homework. Can I ask, what, what what thought did you have, if you can remember, about that homework assignment? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Uh, that was, it was like, what, that, that's what it, that's, that's it. That's it, right? Little did I know that that was exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Fast forward. And this one's a little more difficult for me to talk about. February of this year, 2022. Same week same amount of days, my daughter ended up in the hospital. Something very similar, but worse. Somehow, 
I believe today that it was emotional, trauma-related stuff that just needed to just move, and it finally had a chance to move, and it finally just flooded through. A sinus infection turned into vasovagal syncope, which turned into muscle decompensation or deconditioning, which turned into uh, a whole week where I had to hold my daughter horizontal, pick her up, take her to the bathroom, set her down, help her use the restroom, pick her up, take her back to the three emergency room visits later. They kept sending us home. They finally admitted her in the hospital, at which point her entire body began to lock up. And when I say her entire body, I mean from the tip of her head to the tip of her toes for 60 to 90 minutes every two to three hours. That is terrifying. That is, no, like, I'm feeling what, it. Like, yeah. Ooh. I'll tell you what's terrifying. <sighs> terrifying is the moment that my daughter looked at me two days into it and said, Daddy, I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> mm, I feel that right here. Right here. I feel like I'm dying. Yeah. No, and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. And every morning, the team of physicians and their white jackets, every morning between 5.30 and 7 a.m., they walk in and they tell us everything that happened the last 24 hours. No shit, I was there. Thank you. They did what they apparently could do, but the point is this. They left us with another instruction. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Breathe. We were left, her mother and I, with our daughter, teaching her things like breathing in and out and progressive muscle relaxation because that was the only thing that would help bring the 60 to 90 minute contraction down to finding a part in her body that she would in her mind go to and say, I'm going to release this part of my body. And then she'd release that one. Mm -hmm. And then she'd release the next. And then the next. And then the next. And we did that by breathing. Little did I know I wasn't even teaching her the right way to breathe. And so start by listening as your podcast is titled. For me, going back to your original question of what's changed, is that what's changed for me in my career, and I think what's happening in the mental health field overall, is that we are finally moving away from being in our heads to learning how to listen to our bodies. And we do that how? Brain is constantly listening to the body. You guys know this. We have this whole network of Mm -hmm. wiring that is constantly sending information up, 11 million bits of information per second to our brains. It's listening to the body. What's the body listening to? Body's listening to the electrical current. Body's listening to the heart. What's the heart listening to? The only thing that we can consciously change our breath. Which is why when you breathe in, your heart rate increases. And when you breathe out, your heart rate decreases. And we can go into the whole sympathetic, parasympathetic lingo and all that stuff. But the point is, when we breathe in and then we breathe out slowly, and we combine that with listening, Like, even in this moment that I do this, I feel a tingling in my fingers. 
I feel a heaviness in my hands. The sensations. The sensations. That's what we're tuning into. I feel myself not breathing because it, I'm just getting stressed out. <laughs> okay, so I love that you two are all about the somatic mind-body connection. Yeah. I'm going to be completely honest here. Until I started working here, I could not breathe at all because if I would focus on my breath, it would drive me into a panic attack because if I focus on it too much, I'd stop breathing, right? I've learned how to breathe since working here, but I'm still like, ugh, people talk about their bodies and how their bodies are feeling. I can never be a nurse. I don't like blood. People start talking about feelings in their bodies, and I'm like, stop. Now I can feel it in my spine, and now I can feel it all over myself, and I like, like, people start talking about their guts. I can feel my guts touching, and I feel like gross, (laughs) and I'm like, no, I need to get out of this space. I need to get out of it, and I'm learning I have to embrace it. But God, for all the people out there listening who are like, no, that is hard work. I don't want to do it. Fuck yes, it's hard work. (laughs) It absolutely is hard work. And I will share with you up until, how long have I been at New Beginnings? Six years now. Mm -hmm. Six years I've been at New Beginnings. Up until 2016, that's when I started, I was disconnected. It was not safe. Too much. And when we're overwhelmed, if we try to do some deep breathing, like we've been taught conventionally, not what Ken does, but she'll get to that in a minute. Um, so this is different breathing. Yeah. It collapses it even more. Okay. <laughs> so your experience is very valid. And here's the thing. When I first started therapy uh, Sorry, I first started therapy when I was in my 20s. When I first started practicing therapy in 2016, I only knew what I knew, right? And it was the best version of me that people were getting in that time. I didn't understand that me trying to force and facilitate this deep breathing that I had just kind of learned on my own and through other people, for some people who didn't like being inside their bodies. It was doing more harm than it was good because it didn't feel okay. And I'm here thinking, why are they relaxing? I bet you've had that experience too, right? Like this is like, I've read the stuff. You're supposed to be relaxed. Why aren't you relaxed in my head? Because there's that disconnect from this and this, like, from here to here, this is okay. But from here to the toes is not. And so somatic work is not something that you just kind of jump like into, right? You got to ease people in, you know, and that's why when people first come to new beginnings and they come into my space, which this is my space here, I'll tell them we're going to do things a lot different than probably you've ever experienced. There's a reason that my animal that I relate to is a sloth. It's because I go slow. I go very slow because slow and steady is what's going to help your body reconnect with you. Spicy, you have lots of parts of you. And each part has a nervous system. And when trauma happens... All of these parts that are supposed to be fully integrated, they get shattered. 
And so we have to tend to those. And that's why therapy can sometimes take five to ten years because we are teaching people how to become safe in their bodies. Here's the big kicker. And you can either agree or you can disagree. Freedom to choose. Thank you for the options. (laughs) (laughs) But unless, as a therapist, unless you are doing your work, going to whatever therapy works for you, learning how to feel sensations in your body, learning how to go, oh, that's different. Like this week, I've had muscle spasms in an area of my body that I've never had before. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm curious. What's going on with this area of the body? What is my body trying to tell me? Whereas before 2016, do you know what I would have done? I wouldn't have felt it. I did Disney World. Seven days of Disney World. On my honeymoon. With a broken foot. That I didn't know was broken. Just let that sink in. Oh, that's a major disconnect. It is. And now I know it's because of survival. But going back to, if therapists are not willing to do their stuff, learn about their body, learn how to listen to their body, learn how to embrace complexity, then I don't think they're doing good therapy. You can only lead people as far as you go. That's right. And here's the thing, too, because I know that's probably going to upset a few people. Oh, well, you're entitled to be upset. Remember when I said that I, when I was teaching deep breathing, and I was, why aren't these people getting more calm? They should be. Because in that moment, that was the best that I knew. That was how far I had been. You know, the Jennifer therapist today in 2022 is vastly different than the Jennifer therapist in October of 2016. Both are amazing people. But, man, I've learned so much. And so much that is not being taught in social work schools, which should be. Not being taught in clinical counseling programs, and it should be. Um, And what the research is showing us with trauma, and every human being has trauma. It doesn't matter if you're a therapist that specializes in depression only, okay? The people coming to you have trauma. Talk therapy doesn't work. Because it's, we're not connected yet. I do feel talk therapy once we feel safe enough in our nervous system and in our bodies and we're connected and we're moving some things and feeling some things and can adapt. Now I can be online. Now I have the ability to think my thoughts. Now I have the ability to change my thoughts. But without this, you know, again, you can agree, you can disagree, but that is my professional and personal experience. You know, all of this can seem, you're right, Shelby, it can seem very overwhelming when you hear about it. Fuck right? yeah. 
it is, it, and, it, and, and it, that's because it's not easy. Our brains, we've said this before, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard this, or you've probably said it in podcasts already, they're not designed to make us happy and content and comfortable. They're designed to keep us safe. That's it. When, when our nervous systems evolve to what they, they are today, our brains are, are, are still the same. It, the only thing that's changed is that the last 80 years, we have suddenly, society has conditioned us to believe that there's a quick fix. There's something that we can do quickly and immediately. I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. If I take a pill and 20 minutes later, I'm going to feel better. Now, don't get me wrong. If I have a serious headache and, and, and strategies that I know are not working, I'm, I take an Excedrin. Okay, I, I get it. I'm not hitting on Big Pharma here. I'm just saying that yeah. 20 minutes of breathing and a trained method, studies are showing, has the same effect as a Xanax. And they both operate in the same. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to put in the work for 20 minutes. And that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid to put in the work because we're afraid of, especially as society as it is today with, you know, Instagram realities and filters on Snapchats and this facade that we put out there that we have to look and behave a certain way or what? not accepted we're out we're not good enough we're not good enough we're rejected and no one's consciously thinking of any of this stuff mm-hmm. it's a generational curse thousands and thousands of years ago if you didn't have the right physique if you didn't have the right um, skill if you didn't have the right uh, talent you were kicked out of the tribe and what happened if you got kicked out of the tribe unless you were a renegade you died and, and our species is all about survival. It's all about, you know, uh, <laughs> spreading our seed and, and, and continuing its survival yeah. you know, from, a, from a, a, a much broader stroke here, right? Well, that translates down to our individual lives that, that we also want to survive. And so if something seems dangerous... You know, and, and one what, what's dangerous? Well, for some people, what's dangerous is is speeding 125 miles an hour or jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. Some of these common sense kinds of dangerous things. But then also some people, what's dangerous is going into therapy and talking about ourselves. That's scary. <laughs> when we do that, right, what, what do we put ourselves up against? We put ourselves up against someone telling us we're wrong that we shouldn't feel some kind of way that our feelings don't matter that we're rejected in some kind of way and we don't so we don't put ourselves in those positions we're afraid to and so it it can seem very overwhelming to do the work that's that's the mind's way the brain and body's way of keeping us safe there's nothing wrong with that, but there are new ways to keep us safe. And there are ways to practice 
putting ourselves in stressful conditions that are positive or neutral so that the brain can interpret stress when it's not so positive and neutral. When, when something really is negative, because the brain doesn't really know the difference. Stress is stress. That's true. And the overwhelming part is if someone goes too fast too soon versus having someone who eases you in. Thank you for that because I paused because I honestly didn't know where I was going with that for a moment. And now I remember (laughs) three really important words. That's why I was telling you this. Meet me here. Another thing that's changed for me in 15 years is I used to, I've only worked with men my entire career. And we are what I call, we have what I call man brain. Oh, I've never heard of man brain. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) Man brain, uh, we compartmentalize. You guys have heard the phrases like, uh, you know, men are waffles and women are like noodles. I've never heard that before I, in my life. I've never heard that either. They're on the same way. Like, there's, there's an excellent book out there. Uh, it's or, called that? It's called Waffle yeah. and Noodles? Men are like waffles and women are like noodles. Girl, we got to read that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Please explain. <laughs> uh, I'll explain the way that I, I typically have. Men are like the rooms in a house. In order for us to think and feel and experience something, we have to be in the room. It's very difficult for me as a man to know and feel what it's like in the other room of this building. I have to get up. I have to walk through that door. I have to go into the hallway. I have to go into that next. I have to put a work into getting. I have to take steps to get there. Yeah. It's not as easy for me as opposed to typically for a woman, you're like the electrical wiring. You can feel being in here. You can feel that room there. You can feel multiple rooms. You can make connections. We have to essentially be there to make the connection. I'll give you a very, very practical example of what that's like. A woman carrying a baby feels everything with that baby. A man knows that baby is coming, but man does not know how to connect to that baby most of the time until that baby is in his arms. Okay, but where does the waffle and noodle part come in? Waffle, we compartmentalize. We're like the little squares in a a waffle. Okay. And the woman is like noodles where like everything's connected. Oh, like a bowl of Everything, noodles. Everything, a bowl of noodles. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, noodles. okay. I'm seeing it now. I'm just picking one like noodlet. Oh, goodness. I'm yeah. like, what, no, no, no. what does noodles. that mean? <laughs> yeah. we're, we're like this. Woo. Well, noodles make sense, but I don't know. Yeah, I just love yeah. one noodle. And I was like, are we like surrounded at the wall to make sure it's done? I don't know. I'm sorry. I needed you to explain that visual because like I was picturing like a tiny man in the yeah. bottom of the center of the wall. I, I don't know where I was going. Uh, well, so we digress a little bit. I say that as a way to, to, to say that I have for years told yeah. men that the three most important words we'll ever tell ourselves are, I did this. And those were important. Those are important words for two reasons. One, because we like to feel accomplished. We like to, to, to be acknowledged for our effort. We like to know that what we're doing matters, that we're providing, that we're good men. And one way that we do that is, is 
uh, every man out there knows when he's cut the grass and he leaves and he comes back and he back and he sees the stripes. He's he thinks in his mind, man, I did that. I, you know, there's that sense of accomplishment. He might not say it out loud, but he feels it. Yeah, it's an important three words. Another reason is because we have to own up to our shit and hold ourselves accountable and be held accountable. So sometimes we have to say, I did that. You know, in our in our in our marriages, in our friendships at work with whomever and whenever, we have to be able to say we did something when we did it and be uh, men of integrity. But I've realized that those are not those are no longer the three most important words that man or woman could ever say. The three most important words are meet me here. Whether that you want to take that spiritually. Yeah to a higher power of whatever that looks like to an individual yeah. saying, meet me here in this space. Mm-hmm. Or that's where the, the second part to that, which is where it turned into, it started off for me saying that to my higher power saying, meet me here in this space and this fear and this anger and this confusion and this doubt and this, all this stuff that had been happening that had been happening at that time in my life. That I'm referring to what I learned to do in that was meet myself there so there's a sense of me meeting me what do I mean by that there's me you all see me right here the, the listeners are hearing my voice right but there's also parts of me versions of me you know, we, we know this as the iconic child, adolescent, and adult selves, right? We can split that into 15,742 parts if we want. Yeah. The, the part of us that experienced this and the part of us that experienced that, we can look at it from developmental stages and say, okay, the part of me that 100% leaned on another human being when I was an infant for my survival, or the part of me that learned autonomy, learning how to wipe myself and feed myself and clothe myself and speak and walk, that part is a part that these are all the part that learned how to socialize and see what other kids were doing and how they did it and what their families looked like versus what mine did and how I wanted to fit in and how I didn't. And we, we can go on and on and on with parts, but learning how to listen starts with, for me, teaching people how to listen to their breath, to listen to their bodies, because the two are communicating with the heart so that we can better learn to communicate with our brain and then we can better facilitate the real change that we need the real authentic be who we are because we're we're, we're, we know who we are because we know how we feel instead of just trying to find the next quick fix or trying to find that thing to deflect with or to get to, to just check out and be done with it over and over and over like we do in today's modern day society. So it's really about learning how to meet ourselves where we really are. And then there's an African proverb um, word called Ubuntu I've learned about. And its definition is people become people because of people. Well, I like that. People become people because of people. So some people are able to learn how to listen to themselves individually, and they can do this kind of work, but it doesn't stop there. Mm -hmm. 
some people need to come to a therapist. They need to talk to someone who is non-biased, who isn't connected to their past, who doesn't have a an already um, not predestined, but some some assumption of the understanding of what that person is. I work with men in addiction. I often see them as sober-minded people, or at least someone who's not actively using. I don't know what they were like when they were in the madness. So my perception of them is different than someone who was in the madness with them. Absolutely. So being able to go to somebody who has that is invaluable. Then it doesn't stop there. It's being able to find people that we trust and bring them into our core and our circle so that we learn to listen to ourselves. Other people learn to listen to us as well. How can people listen to us if we don't know how to listen to ourselves? How can they really understand us if we don't know how to understand ourselves? And trauma prevents us from being able to do that because we're terrified. Just like coming onto this podcast, I felt a little flutter in my system, right? It reminded me, actually, it reminded me of being in eighth grade. Eighth grade public speaking class. Oh, God. <laughs> right? The that, dreaded the, public speaking. The, yeah. The, and, and specifically, it was the moment as we were preparing. It was the moment it took me back to, uh, uh, you know, where the person in front of you is now speaking. Oh, and then you're and next. And you know that you're oh, next. Yes. I don't know what that person just spoke about. I have no idea what their speech was. Why? Because the only thing that I was flooded by was my own anxiety. It reminded me a lot of that. But today, I didn't have to not have any idea what was going on. I was able to witness that angst. And the interesting thing about facing our fears and facing our traumas, if you want to call it that, it's such a blanket term these days but facing the things that we're afraid to face is that is that when we when we do that when we acknowledge when we're curious when we give in empathy our brains and our bodies learn to see that we're not as threatened as we think we are yep. it's just a conditioned response we can decondition it and recondition it with the practices of meeting ourselves where we are, learning to listen, start by listening to our bodies, involving other people that we trust so that we learn that maybe the things that happened to us when we were children, when we learned that we can't trust people. As I've lived all my life until recent, I've lived all my life with two rules. Two beliefs. I'm all alone, and people don't mean what they say. But when I met myself there, yep. I was able to let other people meet me there. And guess what happened? I'm not alone. And people do mean what they say. And now I'm able to work on my traumas because I have that sense of trust security in my life and everything isn't so dramatically terrifying 
I started with breathing. So there's all of the importance on doing the work. You got to do the work. And I'm interested to hear about this breath work, which Jennifer said you were going to get to it. So what do you mean? What do you mean by breathing? If it's not just a deep breaths, mm-hmm. if it's not just five, seven, eight, what is it? That's so, a beautiful question. That is a really I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that is a really good question. Great question. Remember what I said about the brain's listening to the body, body's listening to the heart, heart's listening to the breath. Most of us breathe out of our mouths. And most of us breathe, as you mentioned earlier, we breathe and we hold our breath. And then we breathe some more and then we hold our breath. You call everybody mouth breathers. It's kind of offensive. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. It's true. It's okay. It's true. Most people do. That's why we snore at night. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a place for mouth breathing, like when we're speaking or when we're exercising and we need yeah. that extra burst of oxygen and energy and that sort of thing. But the point that I'm I'm getting to is that we breathe in uh, in erratic rhythm. Mm-hmm. We might breathe in short and then breathe out long, and then we'll breathe in long and then we'll breathe out short and there's no we're not we just breathe we're we're not taught how to breathe we're taught everything else in life you think about it we're we're basically taught or encouraged in some way even when you took your first steps you you were taught how to walk in a sense you were taught how to hold a spoon and a fork you're taught how to write taught taught how to run properly and then when you got into you were taught Everything yeah. in life. Humans are really weak compared to like deer. They just get up and run. Through that. <laughs> they don't need to be taught. Yeah. Now they know. <laughs> but we're not we're not taught how to breathe. Well, if the breath, if the heart's listening to the breath and the heart increases every time we breathe in, it decreases when we breathe out, it means that the heart's not beating coherently if we're breathing incoherently. So if we want to create a rhythm in our body of safety, we have to create heart coherence. The way we create heart coherence is not by thinking, beat, look at my heart, let me think, it's going to beat coherently. We can't, it's, it's ridiculous even saying it out loud right now. We can't, <laughs> we can't make our heart do anything, but we can actually change the rhythm of our heartbeat by the way that we change the rhythm of our breathing. And when we do that in a consistent manner, then our body that's listening to the heart can begin to respond in a subconscious way. This now we begin, this, this is research. backed by science, now yes. we begin to, our body begins to relax, not because we told it to, not because we took in some kumbaya breath in and breath out. We're actually, believe it or not, told the wrong thing about breath. It's not about really breathing in at all. Lao Tzu has a quote, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher exactly how, how it is, but I'm going to paraphrase. That the, the, a human in the perfect state breathes as if he's not breathing at all. It's because when we can just be in a state where we're barely breathing, or breathing at such a slow rhythm, everything else begins, all the functions in our body begin to go into that rhythm. So is that like circle breathing when you're playing like a recorder or a wind instrument where you can just continuously blow and you never stop? 
Because you're like breathing in and out at the same time. That's a thing. That's definitely a skill, right? That's definitely. Is a skill. that like if you're not? If it's like you're not breathing at all, I would assume that it would be just like constant, like. That's a skill. <laughs> I'm talking about is more of a meditative and relaxed state. Okay. It's very difficult to actually get to that point. So My you're not... point is actually this: is that when we begin to uh, let me give you let me give you a little bit of science before I say about rhythms okay okay we know that mice for instance live an average of two years they breathe an average of 150 breaths per minute that's a lot that's a lot we know that whales live over 100 years they breathe an average of four to six it's not about breathing more it's not about breathing deeper it's about breathing less they have bigger lungs. They have bigger lungs. But what about turtles who live even longer than whales who breathe not six to eight breaths before six? It's not about lung capacity. They're it's also about the underwater. Breath. Turtles aren't always under breath. I'm believing you. I'm just... Doesn't sound like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that you're actually doing what most what a lot of people would do. Like, well, wait a minute, what? Because trying to make sense of it. Because it's not what we're taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why. It has nothing to do with the numbers. It's not what we're taught. And and what we have confirmation bias. We want to believe what we've been taught. We want to confirm that we are we know what what's what's right. It's it's, it's our human nature. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult to take in new information. If anyone's actually listening through all of this that's been thrown out, like you've just absorbed a lot of information. The point is that when we breathe less, that's where our bodies begin to receive the kind of message that it needs to receive to feel safe, to relax, to do the work like meet me here. So if anybody catches anything about breath work from this point forward, we breathe in through our nose and we breathe out. You can breathe out through your nose or you can breathe out through your mouth. But the point is you breathe out longer. You can do this always. You can do this when you're cutting the grass. You can do this when you're sitting with somebody. You can do this when you're driving. You can do this when you're exercising. It doesn't matter. You can do this at all times. You breathe in four seconds, you breathe out eight. You breathe in two, you breathe in four. Here's the thing about regulation. If I'm talking with somebody and we're going to go, if I'm, if I'm working with a client and I know that this person is in a dysregulated state, I'm not going to teach them balanced breathing. I'm not going to have them breathe in four seconds and out four seconds or do the box breath of in four seconds, hold four seconds, out four seconds, hold four seconds. Why? Because that's not where they are. That's not the coherence of where they are in a dysregulated state. And that's what I was doing. That's what most therapists do when they first learn about breathing. And that's why many people could not find a call. It makes sense that box breathing doesn't work. When I first started working here, that's when I started figuring out that breathing is actually important. And my husband started having like health anxiety, like panic attacks for the first time ever in his life. And I was like, box breathe. That's helpful. And he's like, that does not work. I'm stressed out more now. And I'm like, right. I don't know what to tell you. Right. That's all I know. <laughs> right. Right. I've only been here for a couple months. I'm trying. Yeah. 
which with someone when someone is in a dysregulated state, it means that their sympathetic state is overriding the parasympathetic state. Mm-hmm. The, the fight and flight response of sympathetic is too active and having a hard time letting go so that the parasympathetic, the rest and digest can do its thing. So what do we need to do is we need to emphasize the parasympathetics. We breathe in two seconds, we breathe out four. Or we increase it, breathe out three, and we breathe out six. Or four and eight. And what I do is I count with people. I just lead them. I get them into a space where they feel like they can close their eyes, center on their body, acclimate to their situation or their, their surroundings. And then they breathe in two and out four. And at some point I mix, I mix it up and bring it to three and six. Four and eight. Because everyone has a sweet spot when they're dysregulated. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. They have to find what that is by listening to their body. You can watch, if you're trained, you can watch their breath. As they're breathing out six seconds, they'll actually hold their breath at second five. Well, then three and six is too long. We need to go back to two and four. So we'll go back to two and four. And then we'll go to three and six. And when I get them to four and eight, at that point, we can move to a balanced breath. That's where we can create coherence. That's where we can do the thing that we're ultimately trying to do with breath work, which is calm down. Right, but it's in breathing less. It's about breathing out more, and there's a whole lot more other scientific pieces to why we breathe out less relative to oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels, nitric oxide levels, and all that stuff. But that's that's not what we're here for today. There's a lot of science behind this, and and the the most practical understanding that we can have is that. It's not about breathing more. It's about breathing less. It's about meeting yourself where you are. So when we're panicking and we're having a panic attack, for instance, breathing in deep isn't going to help. Why? Because when we breathe in deep, what does it do? It activates our sympathetic. It raises our heart rate. If I'm having a panic attack, I don't want to raise it anymore. So I breathe out more because that takes that vagus nerve and hits those two nerves, that brake system on the heart, gives it the hard thump to go, slow down. (laughs) Slow down. And it's not going to do with just one. (sighs) Yeah, one doesn't do anything. That's what I tell clients. If you just try one, you're going to be like, Jennifer, you're full of shit. It's when you put strings of them together. That's when you feel it. So with trauma, would you say that breathwork is one of your first go-tos for helping people on their healing journey after trauma? Is that like, podcast is about trauma. So I'm curious, like what, you seem very passionate about how important breathwork is. And I've learned so much throughout this conversation. Is that what you, is that what you would say step one is or where? No. 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 Okay. (laughs) You remember those three words? Meet me here. Meet me here. Yeah. Meet them there. Okay. The first step is in meeting people where they are. Because I would love, for instance, to just do breath work 24-7. I would love to. I would love for everyone on the planet to just start doing breath work. That's that that's if I have if I have a goal in my career, it's to convert every all eight billion people on the planet right now to start doing breath work, okay? But I know that that's not that's not possible. One, because that's ridiculous to think. But two, because that's not where people are. The first step is in meeting people where they are. That's why people come to therapy, because they can have a trusted individual, a safe person 
who can meet them where they are, not try to get them to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What's, a, what's, a, what's a really common way that we try to get people to be somewhere else? They say that they feel some kind of way. Oh, you shouldn't feel that way. I'm telling you where I am. <laughs> Meet me where I am. Don't tell me where I should be. Or if we're a, a newbie therapist and we're very fearful of emotions like anger and sadness because we haven't done our own work around those things, yeah. then I quickly want someone to not feel that way. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to leave my space feeling happy. Yeah. So the first thing is actually in being able to acclimate with an individual and see where they are and meet them where they are and sometimes meeting them where they are just as Jennifer said earlier about sometimes therapy can take 5 or 10 years Uh, I have a client that it took 16 months before he said the thing that really is what caused all of the things that he was talking about and it was twice a week meeting him exactly where he was over and over and over and over. If I would have come up to him at that time and immediately went into breath work or any other strategy at that, it, it's pointless. We have to learn how to meet people where they are and help them meet themselves where they are. Most people don't know how to do that. You said it yourself where you start thinking about the body and now you're like, oh my God, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, it's, that's, that's normal. I'm working on it, right? Working on it. Just not there yet. <laughs> that's, 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 a ri- okay. that's a rhythm. Yeah. Your fear, as everyone's fear, it's it's a it's a rhythm. It's a response. We've yeah. learned it. And we don't have to know the source. I have three blocks. These, these collect who, what, where, why, when blocks in my office. It's a constant reminder to me. No one else. It's a constant reminder to me. Uh, I used to use them with children, you know, as a way to play and say, you know, okay, well, here's a here's a why question. Here's a what question, just to break the ice and get to know and that sort of thing. Now I just have them up there. And the three questions are why, what, and when. Because in my experience, that's, that's the, those are the phases. The phases are because most people come into therapy and they want to know the why. Why am I this way? Oh, that's a classic, yeah. Why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? Why did this happen to me? Why me? Why, 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 why? Okay. Meet you where you are. Why? Inevitably, every single time that people reach it that far, like get that far in therapy, that they know their why. There's another question. What am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Now that I know why, whatever that is, we talk about in trauma that, you, you know, becoming a victim versus a survivor and the language of, of, of survivorship and what to do with the knowledge of owning your trauma, that this thing happened, whatever the trauma is knowing it happened and why it happened and how it happened and going back and what do you do with that? Okay. So we talk about that. There's techniques with what you do with that, but then inevitably there are, there's always another question and that's when are you going to do it? Because we can teach people what to do with it. And how many times Jennifer, have you had somebody go, 
you've given them the what, but then they come back and they say, I didn't do it. As most humans, myself included, a lot. Myself included, right? And, and you know what I say? That's okay. That's okay. We That's meet okay. we meet them where they are in their why and their what and eventually in their win. So there's a really long-winded answer to what's the first thing that we do with therapy. And I love how you said that because then in my mind, like it used to be when I first started out, it was like the reverse. Because I, I wasn't listening. Because I wasn't listening to myself. And it was like, let me teach all these coping skills. Let me teach deep breathing. Let me, right? da 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 um, Me in the SUV with the file <laughs> cabinet strapped in the back. Let me give you this worksheet. Right. Because this is a great worksheet. Just follow these steps, don't Just you know? Workbooks. They're amazing. <laughs> they really are. But you have to be in a space to be able to receive that. Um, and now it really is, for me, the two words that come up as you explain those questions. It's building safety and connection. So that the person who... I have the honor and privilege of working with feels safe enough, right? And I'm not saying you have to feel 100% safe because life happens, you know, and I could be having an off day and my nervous system is a little wonky, right? Um, and their nervous system is going to pick up on that. Like, ooh, something's a little different. And that's the beauty, I think, of developing safety and connection. So when we ask those questions... It's been interesting now, I'm happened to you, but I've had some clients come in that I've been doing nervous system regulation work with building safety and connection within themselves, building safety and connection co-regulation here. Um, everything okay, Jennifer, today? And it's not that they're trying to therapy me. That's not it. And it's not that they're caretaking me. It's a noticing of the energy is a little different. And first time it happened, I was like, that's an interesting question. And this person felt safe enough to say, your energy's a little off today. Like how many times would, <laughs> that would never have happened. That person would never have had the feeling of safe enough had we not done that work. Absolutely. And Old Jennifer would have just pushed through and pretended, you know, oh, everything's fine. And I'm like, actually, you're noticing is actually correct. It's been a stressful day today. And can we take a few minutes and can I, can I do some regulation? Would you like to join me? Right? Mm-hmm. Boy, I've just really built rapport, safety, connection, noticing, observing, and I'm acknowledging their experience. And there really is an art to that because we're taught in grad school, you know, not to disclose, that it's dangerous to disclose. And and true, we shouldn't disclose too much. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, you yes, know, yes. any therapist out there that's making it about themselves, like, <laughs> you need to find another profession, please. But there is an appropriateness and a, and a, and a safety and an art to modeling you know, this is this is where I am and how to move through that. And by doing that, people feel safer because we're, we're all on the same road, the same journey, just some of us are further along than others. 
And some people have spouses. They have trusted husbands and wives and best friends and mothers and fathers. And they have people in their life that, that that's, they can go and they can do that sort of thing with. Whether because of history or because of connection or whatever it is, they have those people. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have that person or they have that person, but that person isn't equipped to, to do the work. Right. And so that's another reason that we need uh, quality therapists that are doing their work as Jennifer eloquently put, because there isn't anyone else. And until Someone finds, remember Ubuntu, people become people because of people. Until we find those people, we can't become the person we're really meant to become. But also, because we find the people that we weren't supposed to be with, there's a treasure in knowing that they helped us become what we're meant to become as well. Absolutely goes into a whole other gamut of perspective but it's true. there's a lot of truth in finding you mentioned those words safety and connection yeah yeah that's what that's the first step and when we feel safe and connected we can begin to explore the why the what and now I think I feel rested enough where I can go on a hike right. and get out in nature. And, yeah. and safe, safety and connection is not just about feeling safe and connected with the people that are around us. Mm-hmm. It's also about feeling safe and connected with ourselves, just yes. as Jennifer mentioned earlier about not being connected with our bodies. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are too much in their head. Yeah. Right? They're, they're thinking too hard about things. They're, 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 too, they're too preoccupied. They're too solutions-focused. They're too whatever it is. They Problem-solving. They're just rotating the revolving door of all these things in their head that they're disconnected from what their body yeah. is trying to tell them. Remember the 11 million bits of information per second. That stuff's trying to communicate senses, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we hear, what we feel through our body, is trying to tell us something. We're too far in our heads. Safe there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to call it, because we've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. The last sentiment you had was really beautiful. People need people to become people and until we're safe and connected with ourselves how safe and connected can we really be with those around us I think those are my key takeaways from today I think that was beautiful um yeah I need to shake that off this was this was deep this was deep today do you have any anything that you would like to plug people want to find you at freedom wellness how do 
our listeners find you <laughs> if you want them to? Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, uh, remember I told you those core beliefs that I had carried all my life that I'm alone and people don't mean what they say? Well, I just joined social media like five months ago and I'm 42 years old. Oh, wow. So this is new to me, all right? This, this, all this social media stuff. However, that being said, I am working on it. Uh, I, I can be found on Instagram at KenCastleden1. Um, that's, it's weird spelling. It's K-E-N-C-A-S-E-L-D-E-N and the number one. I'm on Facebook. Freedom Wellness Center also has its own Facebook page. Uh, and I've just started, uh, uh, two other platforms, YouTube and, uh, TikTok under the brand TikTok. Freedom Breath. Uh, YouTube has its own channel. I have a channel called Freedom Breath. Um, and TikTok is Freedom Breath underscore Ken C. And I'll put all of those links in um, the details description, section, yeah. description. And I'll also put those links on our Facebook page when um, this comes out, uh, which will be next Friday. Um, so, yeah. Well, this Friday, for those of you who are listening, drop today. It's Friday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Where am I, squirrel? <laughs> but now's the fun part. Yes. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions so people get to know random facts about Ken Castleton? Oh my gosh, okay. Here uh, we go. Okay. All right. Do you want to go first? Random. Or do you go first? Here we go. You go first. You could have any superpower in the world. What would your superpower be? Invincibility. Invincibility. I think Ooh, that's a first That one. is a first one. That's a good. I like that. Okay. What is the one gadget you cannot live without? And gadget can be anything. Mm. I know. I'm wondering if you're going to answer what I think you're going to answer. I cannot live without. Mm-hmm. Right now, in my state today, or in my state of life, my phase of life right now, pen and paper. Oh, that's a good one. That's not what I was thinking, though. Would you like to know what I was thinking? What were you thinking? Um, in your room in the basement with the um, projection of the northern lights uh, yeah. and the beautiful constellations and stars and colors. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And we'll talk after this because I want one. <laughs> um, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. That's a good one. I'm not a fan of mint chocolate chip, but that's my husband's favorite. I get I get why it's popular. Close that's second true. is just straight chocolate. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have to say the mint chocolate chip is nostalgic, mm-hmm. even though I eat chocolate most often. Yeah. What's your favorite cereal? Mm. I think the first thing that came to my, my mind was Fruit Loops because that's what I grew up on. You know? mm-hmm. Like, actually, it was Fruit Circles. But, you know, uh, (laughs) but uh, lately it's been, uh, it's been the the Cheerios, almond Cheerios. Okay. Almond Cheerios. I like fruit circles. Uh, If you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you be? What is your animal? Deer. Deer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. I've learned interesting thing funny thing with that is that i did one of those uh, uh spirit animal assessment things you know you find online or whatever 
and you know, I'm a man, so of course I was hoping to see like a bear as my <laughs> spirit animal, you know, or a lion, a grizzly. You know? <laughs> it came back and it said a deer, and it was like, you've got to be kidding, me. right? <laughs> but then I realized something like I have a great uh, affinity for deer and their mysteriousness mm-hmm. in the woods. And I think they are incredibly beautiful creatures for some reason. So, definitely a deer. What is your favorite beverage, your go-to beverage? Water. (laughs) Seriously, I drink water. I mean, like, water these days. I mean, there was a time in my life where it was something else, and it was alcoholic, but I don't do that anymore. Water is good. It's water. Our kidneys are very appreciative of water. Hydration is important. Okay. My last question. Who's your favorite band or musician? Coldplay. Coldplay. Okay. All right. I can see it. I can pick up on Coldplay vibes from you. 100%. All right. I went to, uh, I was on the way to Garden of the Gods, traveling to go for a hike, and I thought, what do I want to listen to today? Listen to today. And I decided to listen to Coldplay. And I saw on Spotify it showed that they were on world tour. And I was like, ooh, where are they? What, mm-hmm. where, where's, where's Coldplay? And I found out that particular day they were in Atlanta. And if I turned around, I'd be there. and I'd be an hour late. And I was like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not in the cards for me right now. So where else are they? Right? This is a Saturday morning. Last stop, they're current, they're, they just finished their world tour. Last stop was Tampa, Florida on that Tuesday. I bought a ticket before I even had a way to get there or canceled my my, my, my day. And I literally flew Tuesday morning by myself. I didn't, I had no luggage. I had not, just my wallet, my keys, like what I had on me. I flew down, Ubered to the stadium, watched Coldplay, floor seats, and went back to the airport and flew back. And it was one of the greatest gifts I've ever given myself. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. That sounds like a fun day. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I just found out from 23andMe that apparently I, uh, you know, 90% of my DNA comes from 60% of it is uh, from a small area in uh, England called Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh and Coldplay is performing in Manchester two days before my next birthday. And I just might go. Oh, what a good birthday present. So, yeah, that's my favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Ken, thank you so much for saying yes yeah. to being on Start By Listening. Um, and thank you so much for just gifting us some beautiful nuggets. And I have no doubt that the people listening, wherever they might be in the world, because literally we're worldwide, uh, we have over 3,500 downloads and listens since the inception, and it's everywhere. Um, They will get what they need, you know, when they need it. Um, So, yeah, just thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your invite. Oh, there's a little bug that just flew in front of my face. Thanks. And um, to all of our listeners out there and people watching on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. And you can change the world tomorrow just by listening to that. Bye. Bye. Well, we've made it to the end of our episode. We want to thank you for listening. 
We hope you'll take something you heard today and use it to change the world tomorrow. We wanted to thank our music producer, Seth Hedges, from Uriah Wild Media. His website is in the show description. Also, a big shout out to Roddy Newton, our technical advisor. See you next time. This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020 Green River 26, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. Thank you.